I want to invite you to please open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So we're going to take a break in our series on forgiveness. In light of the new members and people visiting our church, I think it would be important for us to look at why we do what we do, why we have formal membership in this church, what is the importance of membership in the life of the local church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I was just kidding, you please stand again. <laughs> it's good for your legs. <laughs> Let's read 1 Corinthians, starting in verse 12, chapter 12. Here's the word of the Lord. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, Oh, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, Oh, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, Oh, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker and indis uh, this are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow great, greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there, are, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Please be seated. Lord, we cry out for your help. I need your help. The congregation needs your help. Both of us need to be faithful to you. I need to be faithful with the preaching. The congregation must be faithful with the listening. We all have responsibilities before you, so help us. Help us. Help me, Lord. Holy Spirit, please guide my words. Deliver me from error. Deliver me from false teachings. So please have mercy on us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I have four names. They're fictitious names, but characters that you will realize how common they are. So Stephen is the first one. Stephen claims to be a Christian. He claims to love Jesus, but he refuses to join the organized religion, the organized church. In the past, he had some hurts with the church. The church hurt him, his family, pretty bad. So now he realized that 
He can follow Jesus by enjoying the Sunday the way he likes it. So, Sundays he goes to the woods, he goes hunting, he goes to the beach, and that's where he experiences God. So that's Stephen, the first one. He proclaims to love Jesus, but he refuses to join the church. The second one, the second one is Mary. Mary has never committed herself to a local church. She's in church almost every Sunday. At least two, three Sundays of the month she's in church, but in different churches. She's always visiting churches. She loves music, so she's always going to that church where she enjoys the music. Never committing herself to the life of a local church. Josh is the third. Very involved with the midweek home Bible study. He loves the Wednesday night where they gather together in a home. It's informal and he can talk. He can express all his knowledge of the Bible. Unwilling to come to the Lord's day and to get truly involved in the church. Profess to love Jesus and he loves the Wednesday nights when it's informal. He has no clue what's going on in the life of the church besides the little group that he is involved with. The last one is Laura. Laura loves studying theology. She loves the deep exegetical preaching of the Word of God. She usually comes later to church when the music is almost over. And she leaves as soon as the preaching is done. So, I ask you, what do they all have in common? What, what do they all share in commonality, these four characters? Yes, yes, a very poor understanding of church. A low view of commitment to the local church. And that implies a low view of Christ Jesus himself. People who have a low view of commitment to the local church has a low view of Christ. And I say that because Christ loves the church. Jesus loves the church. He loves the church so much that he gave himself for her and he keeps sustaining the church. He is committed to the church. Sadly, we have been... Yes, we are infected by sin, but sin manifests itself in different ways. And especially in our society, you have two major manifestations of sins that have been permeating the church for a long time. Is that individualism, individualism and consumerism. And they, they, they walk together. Individualism and consumerism. They walk together. So, the topic of church membership or committing to a local church is not highly esteemed. Actually, so many people come, have come, and you know that, have come to this church, and they, wanna, they, they either want to play or they want to host something, they want to do something, and then you say, but you need to commit yourself to this church, you need to become a member. Oh, you guys have membership in this church? I'm out of here. So many. I would say that the topic of church membership became hostile nowadays. People don't like that. People see the church as a fast food restaurant. You just go wherever you like, and if you didn't like that sandwich, that hamburger, you can just choose another one and just keep jumping and moving. And the spirit of individualism and lack of true serious commitment is visible all over our society, brothers and sisters. People avoid marriage. Why? Why so many people have been avoiding marriage? Commitment. A covenantal commitment. 
No, thank you. People divorce so flippantly, imprudently. Why? Because there is no commitment. No serious commitment. So just divorce. That stop is that. Abortion. Why so many abortions? Lack of commitment, responsibility, accountability to another life. Look at workplaces and how little people are committed to working hard. I talk to so many of you who have people under you and, and talking to other people, how hard it is to find good employees. People who work hard, lack of commitment. The friendships are also superficial. Most friendships are through social media. Why? Why? You don't need to see the person face to face. There's no commitment, no serious relationship. And sadly, that has been coming to the church where we offer a gospel that's not a gospel at all. So much of the offering of the gospel is very individualistic. How many times have you heard people say, I'm not asking you to join a church, I'm just asking you to accept Jesus. Or am I the only one who have heard that? Oh, I'm not asking you to join a church. I'm just asking you to accept Jesus. As if you could separate Jesus from the church and the Christian life from the church. I like what Craig Bloomberg, he says in his commentary in 1 Corinthians, he says, referring to the U.S., he says, in a land still heavily influenced by a heritage rugged individualism, of rugged individualism, believers need to work ever harder to demonstrate that Christianity is not a merely personal religion, but fundamentally corporate. Even evangelical language for conversion betrays this bias, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the necessary starting point, but we dare not to stop until that relationship leads to intimate Interpersonal relationships with other Christians. You can study the New Testament and you see when Jesus is presented as Lord and Savior, it's very rare when it's just a very personal and private thing. He's the Savior, He's the Lord of His church, of His people. That's how He's presented. And yes, we, that would be foolish to say, oh, there's nothing personal in salvation. Yes, He saved individuals. He saved me. He saved you. And he knew you by name. He knows his sheep's names. Every single lamb that belongs to him, he knows by name. Jesus didn't die for a bunch of people. He has no clue for whom he died for. No. When he came to the cross, he had the names of those whom the Father had chosen. But he never saves a person just to leave that person in, in his or her individuality. It's always to bring to the body. He saves one lamb to bring to the flock. He brings the sheep to the flock that belongs to him. Jonathan Lehman says, A full-orbit understanding of conversion should also include an account of what we are moving from and to. So we are com coming from and we are heading to. To be converted involves moving from death to life, from the domain of darkness to the domain of light, and involves moving from a peoplelessness to belonging to a people. From being a stray sheep to belonging to the flock. From being something that's dismembered 
to being a member of the body. And that's what we read earlier this morning in 1 Peter chapter 2. Once you are not a people, but now you are what? God's person. God's individual. No, God's people. God's mercy, His vertical, very personal relationship leads to a horizontal aspect of salvation where we have fellowship with one another. And sadly, there are many things in the church that work against the preciousness of church membership. So, so many of the, uh, I would say, home churches with the idea of... We just can gather here together, very informal. We don't need to be in a church. That's one of the things that has been influencing people to not think highly of church membership. Just that, that informal gathering. We don't need a church. We can just study the word here. Or me and my family, we are the church. Have you heard that? Another one. The Calvary Chapel Church Movement. They don't have membership. They don't believe in membership. So you have a bunch of people come to the Calvary Chapel where membership is not taught and required. Another one, parachurch organizations. So many parachurch organizations. Good things, but suddenly that becomes the, the church. That's not a church. So you have people who are willing to go to conferences. You go to Ligonier Conference, Shepherds Conference. You go to all sorts of conferences, but they are never involved with a church. They give money to these organizations, but they don't give money to their local church. Huh. Online preachers, online preaching. I don't need to go to a church. I listen to MacArthur at home. I listen to Dad's Pro. Even though he's pro his dad, he's my pastor still. I don't need to go to church. So you start having all these things fighting against what the Bible teaches. That membership is a mandate, and it's a marvelous mandate. So some of you visiting today, some of you coming to this church, you just witness a group of people standing, making a formal commitment to a life in the church. And you might say, why that? What is the point? What is the point of committing to the church? I show up here. I come here. Isn't that enough? Isn't that enough just to show up? No, it's not enough. Showing up is not enough. You need to commit. You need to give yourself to a body. Ah, but there's no church membership in the Bible. We just read 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Oh, but there's no formality. Read the New Testament. People kept an account of the number of people. People had an account of the names of the people in the churches. In Acts chapter 5 verse 13, talks about those who fear joining the church. The word, the word there for joining the church implies that other people were joining the church, but there are others who were fearful of joining the church. The word there, kolau, was used for marriage covenant. And a marriage covenant is a formal, it's a formal commitment that you make to someone. And we know that because Jesus is in a covenant with the, the church. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 30, Husbands, love your wives. How? 
as Christ loved the church. Covenantal relationship. So if Christ is in a covenant relationship with his people, why would, be, why would we, we think that we can be better than Christ and not be in need of being in a covenant relationship with other brothers and sisters? We, we were singing earlier here, Beyond my highest joy, I prize the church's heavenly ways, the church's sweet communion, solemn vows. That's what we had today, the solemn vows of church members. That's a joy to be in a church that celebrates that. So celebrating formal commitment is right and we should do it. And it's a gospel message. In a, in a, in a society, in a culture where so many people refuse to commit, to be involved, to, to have a group of people standing and say, hey, I'm committing to this body here. That's the gospel message. That's what Jesus does to us. He changes us. Before being saved, I would never want to be in a church being accountable to people. But the gospel came and changed, and now I love these people. And let me ask Cherie, Sean, Alyssa, Bella, are you guys getting any money for becoming members here? <laughs> Just more work. That's the contrary to the world. People are willing to, to commit to something if they're going to be gaining. No, these people here are just gaining nothing in the worldly perspective, but gaining everything in the kingdom's perspective. So the formality is very important. The formality of presenting new members brings clarity to the church family, who belongs to the family. It's not because you just show up here that you are part of this church. Amen? If somebody shows up at your house, knocks on the door, and says, hey, I, I'm part of this house here. Is that how that works? So why do we do that with church? That's insanity. That's the household of God. The New Testament tells all Christians to honor and obey their leaders. So for those people who proclaim to Christians and they think that they don't need the church, the question is, who are your leaders that you must obey and honor? There is a command there. Or you are so good that you don't need that command in the Bible. You are so superior that you don't need leaders in your life. So it brings formality as a pastor. I fear for pastors who don't have church membership. Brother, I told the pastors before, you're going to give an account. You're going to stand before Christ and give an account of the sheep that belongs to Christ. And who are they? Just anybody that shows up in your church? You're going to give an account for everybody that shows up? I'm not. I'm going to give an account of those who committed themselves to our care. Formally said, I, I, wanna, I need to be in a church. I want to be under this leadership. I want to be involved here. I want to give myself to this body. Paul says in Galatians 6.10, Let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And then you need to know who are the members of the household of faith. Amen? That's why the formality is important to know who belongs to the church. Also, how are you going to obey Jesus' command to excommunicate a member of the church if there is no membership? Think about that. How are you going to excommunicate someone that's not a member? So, for example, people are visiting here. 
I cannot excommunicate a visitor. That's insanity. So you see, if you, if you don't believe that there must be membership, the, the whole New Testament, the whole church starts to crack and start losing the nature of the church. How are you going to bring purity into the church in excommunicating someone that is not a part? The whole picture, you go back to Jesus' picture of, hey, if one member of your body sins, cut it off. Do you remember, if your eye sins, cut it off, pluck it out, your hand, chop it off. And, and that applies to the body. If there is a member in the body that's bringing sin into the body, we need to excommunicate. But how are you going to do that if it's not a member? It makes no sense. So, yeah, so the main argument that I hear people saying is that membership is unbiblical. Church membership is unbiblical. So, uh, as we walk through this text in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I want to show you that biblical membership is not an option. It's a marvelous mandate that God has for every single Christian. Amen? It's, it's part of our new birth to be in a local church. So, here's the outline of this morning's sermon. Uh... We're going to be looking at the context of 1 Corinthians 12, and then the church as the body, and then the members of the body. So, first of all, let's briefly, very briefly, look at the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That's important. We were talking earlier, I was talking to some of the guys in the church. Sometimes you hear people saying, we, we need to go back to the early church. Who wants to go back to the church in Corinth? No, thank you. Mess up church. It's a mess up church. All divided. Paul opens the letter already talking and exhorting them to, to be united. Please be united. Problems related to divisions among the members. Problems with divorce and remarriage. Sexual immorality. Confusion with eschatology. Celebrity leadership. And so many other issues. Guy Water says, The church in Corinth might very well be the church down the street. Mm-hmm. The churches were in Corinth were fractured, divided. And then as you come to eleven and through chapters eleven through fourteen, Paul is dealing primarily with issues and sins taking place during the corporate worship service. Not just the church life, but especially during the gathering. Similar to what we see today, the Christians in Corinth were insisting on their personal privileges to the detriment to the church's unity and its witness to the outside world. So it's in this context, chapter 11, 12, 13, 14, that Paul brings the metaphor of the body. What is between chapter 12 and chapter 14? Good. And what is in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians? Love. You see, Paul did not write that chapter during a wedding ceremony. Paul wrote that chapter as he is calling the church to be the body that they're supposed to be. Okay? So, the church as the body. Let's go to verse 12. We need to walk fast because the time is flying today. So, verse 12. Beautiful verse, Paul says, as he's dealing with the problem of spiritual gifts, the division in the church, most of the members want to be prophets. So Paul says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, 
are one body, so it is with Christ. It is in this context that Paul uses his favorite, that's Paul's favorite metaphor for the church, the body, the body of Christ. And the question becomes, why the body? Why Paul is referring to the body? There are reasons why, of course, in, in the ancient time, they talk about the body as a body of politics, a body of group of people. But I believe that Paul is using, first of all, the, the metaphor of the body because of his understanding of union with Christ. Paul is using the metaphor of the church as the body of Christ because he understands union with Christ. That's why Paul always says, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Why? Because you are, you, we, are, we are united with Christ. We are no longer in Adam. We are in Christ. It's not Adam's body. It's Jesus' body that we belong now. And you know that because Paul experienced that in his life. Do you remember when he was going to persecute the church? So he's heading to persecute the church. And Jesus shows up and says, Saul, Saul. What? Why are you persecuting? But wait, is Paul persecuting the church or Christ? X just said that he's persecuting the church. And Jesus is showing this inseparability. He cannot separate Jesus from his people. He died for his people. He came for his people. And that's what the, we see with this metaphor of the body. According to Jesus, to persecute the church is to persecute Christ himself. There is solidarity between Christ and the church. But here are some other reasons. That's the most important. Here are some other reasons why Paul used the metaphor of the body. First of all, the body is visible. You can see and touch a body. The church is visible. You can feel, you can come to a church. You can see with your eyes. It's not a ghost, a nebulous thing. And we must stop with the idea of, I always talk about the invisible church. What invisible church? Unless you're talking about the church in heaven that's invisible to our eyes, that's great. But usually people talk about, I belong to the invisible church. That makes no sense. Or universal church. You can't be part of the universal church without being part of the local church. Because the local is the manifestation of the universal church. So... First of all, it's visible. You can see a, a member in a body. You can see a Christian belonging to the Christian community. Second, the body is a living organism. The image of the church as a body speaks of its life. It's not a corpse. Amen? Paul doesn't say that the church is the corpse of Christ Jesus. Or the bones, the dead bones of Jesus. No, he pictures as a body, and Jesus is the head, and Jesus is alive, therefore the whole body is alive, amen? That's what Paul is showing us, the, 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 the church, and so many people treat the church as the carcasses of Christ, or the corpse. No, no, it's the body, it's alive. Paul says that in Ephesians chapter, beautiful passage in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 through 16. Paul shows, shows how the church is not a, a religious, man-made organization, but it's a living organism. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with, with which is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. 
Jesus is the head of the church, the body is alive and well. And he talks about each member being connected together, joined together in a body. I like what Clinton Arnold says. He says, the end result, the end result is a dynamic image of the individual members of the body receiving nourishment from Christ. And they in turn serve other parts of the body with the strength and grace that they have received from Christ. That's what happens. So Sheree is strengthened, she's connected to Christ, and that strength is passed to the other members. That's what happens in a body. It's passing through the members. To continue quoting him, wonderful quote, he says, Every joint serves as a metaphor for all Christians, not just the gifted leaders of the church. Therefore, the idea is that the body is comprised of a variety of lim limbs that are closely connected to one another. Each of these individual members become a source of supply for the well-being of all the other members with which it comes into contact. So the church is alive, brothers and sisters. That's not to say that there is no sin, there is no problem. But you've got to have a picture of the picture that the Bible tells us. The church is alive. And look at this local church. It's alive. It's growing spiritually, doctrinally, numerically. It's alive. The church is alive. Because Christ is alive. Because Christ is the head of the church. Another one, another reason, third one. The body speaks of unity despite the diversity. Why does Paul use the, the metaphor of the body? Because it has a powerful message of unity over the diversity. When you look at a body, you see the body, first of all. You're not just looking at, oh, there's a finger, there's an ear, there's an eye. No, you look at a body, and that body is composed of all diverse members. So that's what Paul shows us, and he keeps emphasizing this. He says, for just as the body is one, it has many members. And all the members, plural, of the body, singular, though many are one. The one and the many. That's what Paul keeps emphasizing. This unity Despite the diversity that we have in the church. So there's a, a beautiful picture. You think about natural revelation. Natural revelation. It always points to the covenantal revelation. Creation is always speaking of something greater that there is in Christ and in the gospel. So, for example, marriage. God instituted marriage to do what? To show. He instituted marriage to show His love for His people. It's not an accident. No, God made marriage in order to show His love for His people. And then you think the body. God created a body in order to show how His people are to be put together. Huh. The human body came into being by a supernatural act of creation. The body did not evolve from a pack of dust to amoeba and then a monkey and now it's who you are. No! God, with His amazing, artistic power, made our bodies. And the same thing He made the church. The, the, the church is not a man-made institution that evolved and suddenly, oh, now we have the church. No, it has always been the work of a creative and mighty God 
full of wisdom and power. So, as we think about the diversity in, the, in, in, in our bodies, that pictures to the Christian life. So, when somebody tells you, I don't believe in church membership, I don't need to be in a church, just say, hey, look at your body. Just look at your body. And take him to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. says, you are denying the truth of God. In the same way that you cannot have a finger walking around saying that he's a person. That's creepy. Can you imagine a finger walking around saying, feed me, I'm hungry. That's insane. We have people professing to be Christians walking around saying that they don't need the body. One without the other is a distortion. It makes a deformed, a handicapped body. Imagine, imagine a massive eyeball speaking and talking. There's no life apart from the body. And what we have here is that the church is the body of Christ. So look at verse 12. Paul says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. So you see, people who say that there is no church membership in the Bible have never read their Bibles. Right here. How many times? Read how many times Paul mentions members, members of the body. But what is interesting, an attentive listener here would be asking Paul a question. Paul, I think you are mistaken. Because look at verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are, are one body, so it is with... Shouldn't he say Church? His argument is the church. He's talking about the church. The church is the body. Why is he using Christ? Paul, you made a mistake. You should say, so it is with, Christ, with the church. No, it's Christ. Right? That's a reasonable, logic person thinking. But then you need to understand the doctrine of union with Christ. And what Paul is using here is a metonymy. Metonymy. What is metonymy? When you use a word, a person, an object, to speak of something else that's connected to that. So, for example, you, you say, hey, can I have a Kleenex? Kleenex is the brand. That's a tissue paper. That's a metonymy. That's what he's using. That's connected. It's inseparable. When you think about Kleenex, you think about tissue paper. And when you think about tissue paper, you think about Kleenex. Right? So, that's what... Paul is doing here. You cannot separate Jesus from the church. They are inseparable. So we could say on Sunday morning, I'm going to Christ. <sighs> I'm going to Christ. That's what Paul is doing here. He's putting them together. So to love the church is to love Christ. To love Christ is to love the church. Uh, you hear people saying, I love Jesus. I just cannot handle the church. That's ridiculous. You cannot love Christ and not love His church. It's part of loving Jesus. So church membership is not optional, like a Costco, NRA, uh, gym membership. No. Like what one scholar says, he says, John Hammond and Thomas White, he says, by membership, a church establishes itself. A church does not so much have members as it is the members. Huh. And then verse 13, Paul says, For just as the body is one, verse 12, 
and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into what? Into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. We don't have time to go through, but it's a beautiful use of the promise of the new covenant. When the Holy Spirit would come upon God's people under the new covenant and bring them into a new community. So what Paul is saying here, and that's so important, every Christian is baptized with the Holy Spirit. Every Christian is baptized with the Holy Spirit. There is no such thing as being a Christian and then later receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Every Christian is immersed in the Holy Spirit. And what Paul says is, we are all baptized in the Holy Spirit into what? One body. That's so important. Baptism in the Holy Spirit leads to life in the church. That's what Paul is arguing. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is a corporate event. We are immersed in the Spirit to belong to God's people, the church. So we don't have time to go through, but it's a powerful verse here. Let's move on. Uh, Verses 14 or 15 through 27. And here, Paul continues expanding, especially the, the, the beautiful concept of unity with diversity in the body of Christ. And then in verses 15 through 26, Paul is going to confront two major sins that takes place in the church when it comes to our idea. And the first one is the sinful comparison and sense of inferiority. That's the first lie that Paul is, is attacking, is that sense of infer- inferiority. Oh, the church doesn't need me. I don't have anything to give to the church. Paul says, stop is that. Stop. So he says, if the foot should say, oh, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. Why? Because the foot is always hidden. People are not looking. And especially in those days, foot was dirty, filthy. The hands are always visible. You're doing cool things with your hands. Paul says, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. And stop is that. It does not change anything. That's what Paul is saying. That will not change anything. God made you like that and be happy, satisfied, joyful and thankful for whom God made you to be. To compare yourself with others and then lament that you don't have the gift is just arrogance. You're saying that God did not know what he was doing. I don't have the gift of music. As you know, as my wife knows very well. I can't. I have tried to play all sorts of things. Drums, guitar, percussion, everything. It's just horrible. (laughs) I don't have the gift. Should I complain? Oh, Lord. No. Enjoy what God gave you, what the Holy Spirit gave you. If the whole body were an eye, he says, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, verse 17, where would be the sense of smell? Paul's argument is humorous and grotesque. That's why he's saying, imagine a whole ear, a earlobe just rolling around. That's ugly. It's nasty. If all the members were preachers, the church would be dead. If all the members were gifted musicians, the church would die. If all the members were gifted with financial skills, the church would die. Have different members with different gifts, and all the members are, are vital. Think about you all see the nose, 
Nobody sees what's inside the nose to make the nose smell. And they're all vital to help us smelling, tasting. Paul's point is that each part of the body is important for a body to be healthy and to function optimally. So we must put to death this sinful sense of inferiority. Poor me, poor me, I'm not as good, I don't have any gift. I always hear people saying that, especially when we're interviewed for, for membership. Oh, I don't have anything. Be quiet. If you are saved, if you are saved, God has given you a gift and He's placed you in this body because this body needs you. Amen. Amen. Start serving, honestly. Start, be quiet and start serving in different ways. And then the Lord will show you by the confirmation of the church what your gifts are. Amen? Moving fast. We need to move fast. There's so much here. I love this text. There's another one that Paul is fighting against. is that sinful comparison, sense of superiority. The first one is the sense of inferiority. And now it's the sense of superiority. I don't need you. The first is, you don't need me. The second is, I don't need you. Look at how good I am. So the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet. And he's not referring to Christ here, but just a, in a regular body. It cannot say to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. So Paul now starts confronting those arrogant people who think that they don't need others. That's the people who say that they're Christians and they don't need the church. I don't need the church. You are showing yourself to be a fool and declare to be wiser than God. Paul says, look at verse 21. When someone says, I have no need of you, Paul says, no, 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 actually. Look at verse 22. Everyone is indispensable. Indispensable. We all need each other. I remember a friend of mine back in Brazil. He had a kite. He got stuck in his antenna. So he went on the roof to get the, the kite. He was falling. He held to the antenna wire. He lost his two fingers here. And I remember his father going up to the roof, trying to get the fingers to bring to the doctors to see if he could put together, stay together. As the time was passing, those pieces, the, the two fingers, were getting uglier and uglier. And when he got to the doctor, the doctor said, no, there is no way to put this back. It could create a whole infection. He would lose his whole arm. Why? You cannot have a member of the body outside the body. It's going to die. It's ugly. That's why Spurgeon talks about, oh, you see the eye, the beautiful eye, dark or blue, beautiful eye. Now look at the eye on top of the table. Oh, get this thing out of my sight. <laughs> Disgusting, right? Yeah. But you see, people think that they can't do that with the Christian life. And we have been seeing many, many ministries about teaching the word, counseling, biblical counseling, preaching, uh, people with gift of music, all growing throughout the internet, but never connect to a life in the body. And God says that's lifeless. That's lifeless. Yeah, you can make money, you can become popular, but it's actually lifeless because you're not connected to what I intended you to be, to the local body. So, and Paul emphasizes 
Over and over again, God's sovereignty and wisdom in, in forming the body. So we see verse 18, but, but it is, as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Then you can see in verse 24, verse 28, and it's all God's glory being manifesting his wisdom and power in putting the members together in a local church. Paul says in Ephesians chapter it's a beautiful passage, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. Paul says that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is displayed in the heavenly places. In the church. Not in your life apart from the church. In the church. Not in the family. Not in the government. In the church. God's wisdom is displayed. His manifold wisdom is displayed. So, verse 24 and 24. 5 says, But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same what? Care for one another. So Paul's point is, stop with division, put to death the division, and start caring for one another. The opposite of division is to be caring for one another. The word that Paul uses here is an important word. The same word for anxiety, for stress, to have an anxious concern based on apprehension about possible danger or misfortune, to be worried about something, to be anxious about. But here Paul is using in a healthy or in a holy manner. He's saying that we must have a holy concern, a holy anxiety towards one another in the body of Christ. You see, sin makes us worried and anxious about ourselves, right? So much of anxiety, it's all, it's all about me. People who suffer from anxiety, anxiousness, they're always anxious about what? What might happen to me? My future, my life, my kids. Paul said, once you're in Christ, that must be transferred. You must be concerned for the body, the others in the church. So let me ask you, is that your Christian life? Are you concerned with the members of this body? Or if you're part of another church, are you concerned with the members of your church? Do you lose sleep? When was the last time you, you lost sleep out of concern for your local church family? Do you contact the members when they don't come to church to see how they're doing? You see, that's life in the church, Christian life. Verse 26 says, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And, and that's God's calling on our lives. We must be involved in a, in a local church in a way that we know each other so deeply and we love each other so deeply that when one is suffering, the whole body is suffering. When you break, a, a, if you break an arm, what happens? The whole body will suffer. If I break my right arm, my whole left side is going to be overworking to compensate that side, that arm that's broken. So the whole body suffers. And that's how it must be in our church. If your view of church Sunday gathering, if that's your view of church, it's just the Sunday gathering, you have no idea what the Christian life truly is. And sadly, that's how so many people see the Christian life. Just show up. I attend. I show up to church. No. The church is a lifestyle. 
We are members of one body. And then he says, And when one member is honored, all rejoice together. So when one member is honored, we all rejoice together. Amen? Amen. When some, one of, some of our members are promoted, we all rejoice. When someone is hired, we all rejoice together. And the same applies to the opposite. When one member is dishonored, what happens? What happens if one member is dishonored? Is that true? How often we see people slandering, dishonoring a member of the church, and then coming to you and saying, well, I, I don't have anything against you, it's just that person. Just that person. I have nothing against you. We, we had personal experience here. You, you guys know, my character is slandered, lied about, dishonored, what they did with me. And all of us, but especially with my character as a pastor. Trying to drag my character through the mud. And then they contacted you guys. Oh, let's have coffee together. Let's have a meal together. Oh, I just have a problem with Google. No, it's you. How do you respond to that? Because if somebody does that to Tracy, somebody does that to Lee, to Alyssa, we must suffer together and be dishonored together by no means. Your sin against that person was against all of us. We are part of this body. Amen? I like what Leonel Thornton he says, It follows that in the body of Christ there are, strictly speaking, no private sufferings. All are shared because there is one life of the whole. Accordingly, wrong done to one member is wrong done to the whole church, and therefore to Christ himself. And we know that. We have members here who went through divorce, ungodly divorce, and we cried. We lost sleep because that member was suffering so much. The loss of a, a baby. We cry, we suffer together because we are connected. So I ask, are you, are you part of a church that you feel that? And even the members of the church, are you involved in this church to this point where you rejoice and you get hurt and dishonored when the other member is suffering and being dishonored? So Paul says, to finish here, verse 27, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So you see how church membership is a marvelous mandate. There is no option for the Christian. We're all together in that. So it's just some final thoughts. Final thoughts just to apply what we saw here. Remember, when, when mem one member of this church is being slothful, lazy, selfish, what happens to the whole body? We suffer together. When, when a member forgets that it's his turn to do the setup, forgets that he's turn to do something, to bring food to the Wednesday meetings. What happens? We always starve to death, right? <laughs> look at us. Doesn't look like we're always starving to death. That was a bad example. <laughs> it's probably good when people forget to bring. <laughs> but when we don't do our job, 
an individual, the whole body is affected, yes. right? So remember that your slothfulness, your laziness affects the whole body. And the same with your zeal and effort helps the whole body. Don't be upset. Don't be upset when, and angry when people don't have the gift that you have. I can't believe they're playing that song with that note, with that key. I can't believe he said that again. Every time he preaches. I can't believe they did that with the finances again. If they were as good as I am with finance, why don't you do something? Why don't you help with the finance? And when you help, don't think highly of you. Let others come alongside. Amen? Well, may the Lord help us to see our need of one another. And the Lord help us to long to be with one another on Sundays, Wednesdays, every time we get together. We are not a church full of events, but when we have meetings, prioritize that. Being with the body. We sang earlier, For her my, my tears shall fall, for her my prayers shall ascend, to her my cares and toils be given, until toils and cares shall end. So you see how it goes much further than just showing up on a church. It's a life in the body of Christ. Amen? And as we are moving to the Lord's Supper, just another observation. We, we, so many times people get upset because we, we fence the table. And every, every church should fence the table. And every church should have at least some sort of fencing of the table. And, and in our church, we, we, we require for people to partake of the Lord's Supper is that they are believers, that they are baptized, and that they love the church in good standing with the local church. And as we, we, we look at that's what the Bible tells us to do. I have seen people getting up and walking away from the service when we put the fence around the table. Paul says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood. Brothers and sisters, there is something good about us fencing. We love you. We don't want a more guilty in an unworthy manner. In an unworthy manner is to celebrate the body, the work of God in putting us together when you refuse to be together. That makes no sense. Here am I. I want to partake of the Lord's Supper. Why? Because I want to do that. But you don't love the body. You have no life in the body. You don't love the church. You have no desire to be involved with the church you're bringing God's judgment upon you and that's sad because so much uh, uh, that I see is people thinking that the Lord's Supper is this private thing the Lord's Supper is this private mystical time with the Lord that's why people get upset because they come and I just want to partake of the Lord's Supper it's my time with the Lord and they forget that the Lord's Supper is a communion meal. We celebrate together. Paul says, wait for one another, please. You partake together. It's a time when we are being reminded all together that the Lord saved us. He forgave us and He placed us in His body. And we celebrate that, the union with Him and his, our communion with one another. So please help those who come to you afterward and complain. I don't understand why in your church you guys talk about that and I cannot have the Lord's Supper there. I say, oh, let's go to 1 Corinthians. Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 
wonderful passage here. It says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? And the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Look at that. How can someone be partaking of the bread when he has no fellowship in the body? Doesn't love the body. Doesn't long to be with the body. That makes no sense. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partakers of the one bread. So remember that as we are partaking of the Lord's Supper. And if you are from another church, if you are involved with the church, if you love the church, you have been baptized, please, you are welcome to celebrate with us. Because that's a time when we all celebrate together the great work of the Lord in redeeming us, saving us, forgiving us, and not leaving us by ourselves, but bringing us into His people. I will be their God, and they will be my what? My people. Amen? Father, we come before You. We thank You for Your Word speaking to us, Your faithfulness and Your grace and Your mercy and Your discipline, Lord. When You come after us to bring us closer to You, sometimes it's painful. And we pray, we pray that we receive the pain with joy, gladness. Thank You for this time that we can gather together at Your table celebrate the forgiveness of sins that we have in Christ and the communion that we have in belonging to this body. Lord, for those here who do not belong to a church, I pray that today is the day that they would run to you. They would repent of their lack of involvement with a church. Today is the day that they would not leave for tomorrow, Lord, but today they would come to you, receive grace and mercy and forgiveness, and enjoy the privilege of participating in a body that loves you and loves one another, Lord. That's our desire. Not to see just people walking away angry, but coming to you and joining with grateful hearts the work you have done. So bless this time as we prepare to sit at your table and look at one another and, and thank you for saving us and placing us together. So help us for the glory of your name. Amen. Amen.